Welcome and good afternoon. This is Let's Talk, the pastor is in. Now, I'm program host Kip Allen. Let's Talk is a program for the Christian layman, the Lutheran who believes but may have some questions. In short, the program's designed for someone just like me. There is a lot I simply do not understand about our faith. It might not be anything soul-shaking. It might be just something that's been on my mind for a little bit. And, well, that's what this program is all about. You see, I find that rather than getting into a real deep theological Bible chapter and verse discussion, sometimes just a casual front porch style talk of the pastors, the best way to understanding. And that's what this program is all about. Today's guest is Lance O'Donnell, who's the pastor of St. Paul Lutheran Church in Akamanawak, Wisconsin. I bet I pronounced it right this time. Now, I have my yeah, you, questions. You, 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 you totally wrecked it. It's Okanamawak. 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 Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, I just found out about a com- uh, one of the things about it. Did you know that The Wizard of Oz premiered at the Strand Theater in Oconomowoc, August the 12th? I, I, I did know that. In fact, I think we had, a couple years ago, we do um, four or five times during the summer, they have a, a moon, what they call moonlit movies out here. They show big, they close down the streets and they put a great big screen up to show a movie. I think she had the 75th anniversary of Wizard of Oz, and the streets were full, and um, so, yeah, yeah. I love kind that. Kind of a neat little, neat little fact about that. Yeah. Well, I try to search a few things out there. The other thing I found out was about how you moved your cemetery, but beyond that, I mean, and... Yeah, I, uh, that, that one I don't know. Oh, okay. And there were some famous people, mostly hockey players. Golly, how about that? Yeah. And I understand that you've actually had a snow day today. Oh, yes. All the kids were happy. They finally got a snow day. It had been a couple of years, I think, since we'd had a snow day around here. So, yeah, the kids were happy. In fact, I, I gave, when I left this morning to come into the office, um, I gave a kind of an order to the kids. I said, uh, if you waste this day sitting in front of a television and don't go outside and play, uh, you're grounded. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Did it work? <laughs> well, we'll find, we find out. I haven't called home, but yeah, I, I had heard. Um, I, I talked to, a few hours ago. My wife said the kids are getting ready to go out to play in the snow. So, well, well, you know, I got to tell you, given the choice, in my case, in my case, given the choice between staying inside and reading or playing in the wet, cold snow, I probably would not really choose to do the snow. Yeah, but you're not ten. Well, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> and also, I've been in St. Louis. And it's not quite as bad right. here. But let's see. What does we have here? 63122. Checking our zip code here. You know it's 57 degrees out here now? Yeah. But, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, we, got, we, got, we, got a, we got a nice nice dump of beautiful, white, fluffy snow, the perfect kind of stuff if you're a kid, to go sledding on. Oh, I remember so when I was I a kid. my kids got out there today and enjoyed it. Yeah, I remember when I was a kid. We have a um, place here in St. Louis called Art Hill. We have this beautiful art museum here in uh, in Forest Park, and there's this beautiful hill that goes down to a, a lagoon. And every winter, I mean, they'd have the, the, uh, the big barrels, you know, with the fires in it, and people would be sledding down there. I had a lot of fun with that. Of course, I was too young then to realize that cold hurts. <laughs> well, 
yeah, and the smashing into other things, and yeah, when you mm. get, get to a certain age, and all that, all that jostling of the bones is. Uh, but when you're little, it's a great thing. Yeah. And then you grow up. Well, you know, look at it this way: growing older is mandatory. Growing up is not. That's strictly voluntary. Yeah, I suppose you're right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I build this uh, show as. Uh, Something that's just on my mind, you know, or something that occurs to me as the layman. But, you know, you and I had had a very interesting conversation or email exchange earlier. And oh, yeah. you've got something on your mind that I think is a fabulous topic. Now, last week, uh, Bill that's Swirla, Bill Swirla yeah. from Trinity Lutheran out in uh, Hacienda Heights and I. We, I know Pastor Swirla, yeah. I think everybody knows Pastor Swirla. <laughs> but he and I were talking about... Uh, the role of sexuality in the Christian life. You know, what is proper sex for a Christian? Sure. But what you're doing here is you are examining uh, about sexual abuse. And you know, we really had a terrific... Boy, is that a wrong uh, wrong adjective to use. We have a an example here of true Christian... Uh, of, of Christian outreach, I guess, which shows the difference between forgiveness and repentance, I think, where we have this this horrible, horrible situation where a doctor who had uh, been working with uh, Olympic uh, athletes, young women who are training in gymnastics, has just been pleaded guilty to something like molesting more than 150 young women. Yeah. Oh, At my least gosh. It appears. I forget exactly what the conviction was, but he, he was just between state and federal charges. It was something like 175 years. Yeah, yeah, he'll, he'll never see the outside again. Uh, but what was... Yeah, God help him. Yeah, you're right. You are right. And this was... The guy's name was Larry Nasser, And one of the people who... One of the key people who broke the story was actually the first one to come forward with this. It said that this man was a, was a pederast. And was also yep. the last one to testify at his sentencing was a, a former gymnast by the name of Rachel Den Hollander, right. who, who is also a very devout Christian. And she yep. had some extremely interesting views on this as she spoke to the judge, spoke to the audience, and spoke directly to Nasser himself. And yep. you made some observations here in, in an upcoming uh, sermon that you're preparing about how how this relates to the transfiguration. <laughs> yeah. And that, yet when I first started to read this, this, I said to myself, boy, this guy's really reaching. But boy, when I got into this, and then later when I actually did, as was suggested, I went to the YouTube channel and listened to what this woman had to say. Yeah. Oh, boy. Yep. So I'm going to pass it to you <laughs> a little bit. Well, you know, it, First of all, I mean, as I, as you know, this is a bit of a preview of my sermon for this Sunday. What I did is I gave you obviously an advanced copy because this is this is on my mind, and uh, and I I came to a point of conviction that I had finally to speak about this topic, and I went through uh, piles of drafts um, talking with people because it's uh, you know, you've got all different ages in in the sanctuary and you need to be careful and I try and be real careful to protect the innocent but it, I, I came to the conviction that it's important for the people out there in the pews um, to know that the, the Christ is not silent about this stuff 
and often there is, you know, when some when the topic of sexual abuse comes up, it becomes hush hush and quiet. And mm-hmm. that's one of the things that Rachel brought out in her testimony, and for me in particular in her interview with Christianity Today, uh, which will your your listeners could look up online. Um, she she talks very starkly and frankly about losing her church um, because of uh, improperly handling this issue yes um, in and treating uh, and treating victims uh, in in the stunning language that she used in her in her uh, interview with Christianity today was that the gospel the gospel of forgiveness in the church is often wielded like a weapon you know as if the person who has been the victim must just forgive and then just be quiet and can't pursue justice yeah and um, I uh, you know I will you know you read you read the text but yes I I I, I honest I I I was just watching a couple clips of the various different gymnasts testifying. One of the gymnasts, I'm trying to remember, uh, Kyle Stevens, I think was her name. Yeah. Um, she she talked about in her testimony about how her father didn't believe her. Her mother didn't. They were he was a colleague, medical colleague of Dr. Nasser's, and you know repeatedly throughout her life said, "You have to apologize for what you said." And then once he came to realize that his friend had actually done this to his daughter, he couldn't he couldn't deal with it and ultimately committed suicide. Oh boy! Um, and so, you know, I mean, my goodness, what a I mean, this, this is it's just an unmitigated tragedy. So, you know, I'm I'm watching some of the clips of this, and then I watched Rachel Den Hollander's fifty some minute our impact statement. And I, I just wept. It was heartbreaking. It was absolutely heartbreaking to hear that woman talk. And at the same time, there was so much inspiration there. And, and one thing that really hit upon us, and, and I think you touched on it here, is how the church, how her church, at any rate, badly mishandled this thing. It's not just about forgiveness. It is about justice. And the Bible has a lot to say about justice. Yeah. And this is one of the things that she brought forth in this. Uh, and there was, she was saying, yes, Rachel, tell the truth. Tell the truth to the world. This is what that voice in her mind was saying. And that because she came, she did do that eventually. The courage to expose her own shame. Boy, is that a, a loaded phrase. Her own shame. She was the victim opened the door for others to testify, enabled hundreds of women and girls to know that there is at least some justice in this world, and there is a just God. Oh, boy. Well, and you know, well, that's, Kip, I have, you know, as as I alluded to you, most pastors who've been around the block a while have had people talk to, talk to them about this. And, um, and I certainly have over the years, mm-hmm. um, men and women, uh, boys and girls, um, friends, family member, family members. Um, you know, one of, I shared an early draft of my sermon with a with a friend, and it was suggested. You know, I, I think you might be only talking to a small minority of people here. Um, I think that's just flat out wrong. 
I, I wish I could say I disagreed I, with you, but I don't. I think it's much more yeah. prevalent than we know. I think I think lots of people in some way have been touched by this. And um, and that's why, you know, as difficult as it is, uh, especially for those who have been, you know, and who sit there year after year um, replaying what was done to them in their minds, um, it, this, it will be hard to hear. But I think, I hope, ultimately refreshing to hear that, that the church is not silent. Um, and this is going to be difficult for people to hear this weekend, some of them. It is. Again, I'm not going to go into specifics, but just the mention of it is going to be difficult for some. Well, what see uh, that that phrase in Second uh, Corinthians? Uh, I think it's chapter four, verse two. It's that we must renounce disgraceful and underhanded ways, and we must refuse to practice the cunning or to tamper with God's word. That happens to be the epistle text for this weekend. Well, son of a gun. <laughs> <laughs> And it is so it is so right to the point, because as you pointed out, and as she said herself here, her own shame, she was treated as somehow bringing this down on herself. And as the other gymnasts, and I'm sure many others pointed out, they just didn't believe these young women. One of the uh, people who I saw had uh, testified on this uh, in, the, in, the, in the sentencing phase was a coach who had referred promising young athletes to this particular man. And he had trust to this guy. He said, this fellow was my mentor. I learned yeah. from him. And he ended it up by saying, and may you go to hell. Oh. Uh, and I can see that, right? And you can see the feeling. And if I had been a father or if I had been a coach and, and submitted a bunch of my growth, I can see that feeling. On the other hand, um, my goodness, uh, as, as Christians, you, you know, you don't, you, you certainly don't want that for somebody, but you do want justice. That's true. And, and, and Rachel made this very clear in a closing statement. Right. Was that where she could forgive, but he really needed to for, have have to understand what he had done, and she didn't think that he had. Uh, no, and, and and that's what she said in her in her statement, and I think in some others as well. Is you know we would know you understand if you tell us what you knew, if you tell us who the others knew that were in the very and, and that they didn't do anything. We'll we'll know. That you know what you've done wrong, if you can not just say I want to be, I want to be forgiven, but that if you will if you will if you will seek, um, in a sense, what we'll say reconciliation, if you will expose who knew what when. Well, beyond that too was that that she was saying that if he were to truly understand the enormity of his crime, yeah, he would be on his knees begging God for forgiveness. And, right, and she put that in a very powerful way in that impact statement. You know, she she prayed that he would feel, and this is this this is you know my Lutheran ears ticked up here. She prayed that he would feel the crushing weight of guilt. Mm. So that, so that, and then then she said, and that's what makes the gospel so sweet. I'll have to see. Let me look it up here. See if I can I can find yeah. it in her in her impact statement because yeah. it was. Um, I, you know, I found it stunning um, to see it, and then, you know, and then to read it. Um, well, one thing she did say uh, related to that was, you know, how she had the problem where her church really 
her church did not really support her in this. And one of the things that kept her from falling away from, from Christianity was in John 6, where Jesus said to Peter, do you want to leave too? And Peter says, where else would I go, Lord? You have the words of life. And that was it. This is the thing, is that even though our interpretation of the Bible, and as it says here, to refuse to practice cunning or tamper with God's word, this is what we do as humans. This is what the old Adam does, is we do tamper with God's word. And we should know better. And we do know better. Again, as it said here in John 6, Peter knew. He has the words of, of life. To where should we go? And this is what she realized. And and this is why I think she is such a wonderful Christian. She understands. Yeah, she said, she laid it. I mean, she did. She laid it right out there. Um, she said, and I'm, I'm quoting from her, her impact statement here, because at some point in one of the previous hearings, he had brought a Bible into the court. And she said to him, she said, the Bible that you carry speaks of a final judgment where all of God's wrath and all its eternal terror is poured out on men like you. Should you ever reach the point of truly facing what you have done, the weight of guilt in the face of the horrific evil you committed, it will be crushing. And that's what makes the gospel of Christ so sweet because it gives hope and grace where none should be found. And I pray that you experience the soul-crushing weight of guilt someday so that it can be followed by true repentance and forgiveness from God. Oh. And that's something that, that we as Lutherans, I think, need to really reflect on every Sunday when we make our confession and absolution is sure. just how crushing our own sins are. And that's you know, and that was part of the uh, part of my, the challenge in crafting my sermon on this is because I was attempt you know, I'm, and I hope I didn't attempt too much, but part of my attempt was to let the so that the people who have been victims of this that they would know that there is that there is hope um, that Christ covers even our shame and that the church is not silent. Uh, but I also I also wanted to let those in, those who will be in the room, those who will hear, because we're also on the radio, that sexual abuse is evil, that it is wicked. So for those who would harm or have harmed others, they would know that, and that they would repent. Um, and that is to confess their sins. You know, repentance is, involves two things. Our confessions are wonderfully clear on this. It involves the true sorrow over sin, the desire to do better, and clinging in faith in, in Christ for his forgiveness. And, and so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm hoping to do a couple things there, and you know, we'll see how successful it is. But um, the, those who would harm, or those who have, I mean, they, they need repentance. You know, like you said, we all, we all need it. You, know, we, you may not have perpetrated you know, a sexual assault, but we are all guilty. We are all sinners, and we need, you know, and that, when we see the weight of that, it should crush us, and it's only then that you fully appreciate uh, the the free gift of forgiveness in Christ. It is, it is a life-changing thing. It will be interesting to see if Nasser actually hits that point. Well, I certainly pray that he does, and she, you know, Rachel obviously prays 
that he does, and that's a stunning that's a stunning thing. You know, um, you know, I have, you know, I'm a I'm a big brother, uh, you know, big brother sister from years years and years ago, and um, my, you know, the that my little brother, his family was violated uh, by his father. Oh dear! Not him, but one of his sisters. And um, um, you know, and his and his dad spent time in prison. Mm. And you know, and is a very is a very repentant man. You know, was released, and his his whole life is full of consequences from what he has done. Um, but he, but he comes to the altar of God, uh, forgiven, and and receives that forgiveness. You know, now he can't have a relationship with his with, with his daughter. Um, he can't have he can't get all kinds of different jobs. He struggles to make ends meet, but um, but he has peace with God, and um, and and that's something to give thanks for. And I certainly pray. For Larry Nasser and for anyone who has perpetrated any kind of crime against a child, uh, that they also would know that. You know, I don't want them to go to hell. No, we we don't want anyone we, to. Well. <laughs> we don't want anyone to go to hell, but we certainly do. You know, and this is this is why or part of why Rachel Den Hollander's appeal here in her testimony is so I think so powerful because she she says there should also be justice in the world. Yes, um, and you know you can be forgiven, right? And but there are, there also must be consequences, and uh, and and that is a very Christian thing. And I think that's one of the one of the real weaknesses of the so-called uh, liberation theology or, or or certain modern theology is the idea that there should not be consequences; that forgiveness wipes the, the slate clean. Uh, we recognize, we as Lutherans recognize that there are serious consequences. I mean, this is one of the be, one of the beauties, I think, of uh, one of the reasons why we have, say, closed communion. Sure. Is because there are serious consequences if you partake of the Holy, of the Holy Supper without understanding it, just thinking, hey, okay, this is cool. No, that's not the way it works. You can do yourself very serious harm. Yeah, if we're going to take the word seriously, this would be one of those. You know, we shouldn't tamper with God. If you're going to take First Corinthians 11 seriously, uh, which we should, then you ought not approach the supper uh, despising it, because the the consequence, as, as Paul says to us, um, this is why some of you are sick and some of you even have died. Hmm. Yeah, he really takes the Corinthian congregation to task in that letter. Yeah, he does. And I read a, I read an article the other day. I think it was in the uh, the most recent issue of the Lutheran Witness uh, that taking communion without accepting the tenets is essentially mocking God. I won't argue with you. And uh, boy, that's you know I yeah, never yeah, quite. Boy, yeah, I, if, if you I mean if you know if you know better. Right. If you you know better and say just you know bag it, I'm going to go. Right. It, it, you know I'm going to give I'm going to give some grace to the ignorant, but um, you know especially if you know better, and you reject this. Right. That. Mm-hmm. Well, and again, we we are very very upfront. If someone comes to our church and uh, asks for communion, we are very upfront. 
Are you part of the Lutheran Confession? Do you understand what you are doing? And uh, I think we, we will lovingly say to a person, until you understand, we can't do this because it will harm you. And, uh, and I think that's one of the arguments that's made. Uh, I, I often hear people say that, uh, well, closed communion, I mean, we're, we're, we're telling these people they can't partake of God's grace. No, that's not what we're saying at all. We are protecting them from doing something that is wrong, something that is sinful. So you want to, I mean, I, I, you know, you want to be sure that someone is receiving it for their benefit. And I think, you know, I think that's the the proper focus is not, and not my view, not so much in keeping people away, but in, but ensuring that those who receive receive for their receive for their benefit. Oh, absolutely, and, absolutely. Know, the, the focus is on the promise of Christ. Uh, given it this, this is my body, this is my blood given and shed for you, uh, for the forgiveness of sins. And, you know, that is what, that is what the church is, is that's the center of what we are all about. And from that forgiveness, you know, flow, flows all kinds of different things. Um, but, you know, to kind of circle back to where we were talking about, I think it's important for everybody to understand that, there there must also be justice in the world. And forgiveness does not mean that there are no earthly consequences. Is this also part of the uh, two-kingdom theory that we have, or the two-kingdom doctrine, pardon me, not theory, doctrine that we have? For sure, yeah. It's, you know, God does work through temporal, through the through the uh, temporal authorities. Yeah, and the, the part of the, the, the government's responsibility is, is to punish is to punish evil, you know. And you can be you can be reconciled with God and forgiven something that you have done wrong, but still have to face uh, the consequences. You know, Larry Larry Nasser could get down on his knees and repent and write every one of those women and girls a letter, and he can be totally repentant, um, and he will die at peace at peace with God, uh, but he's going to die in a prison cell uh, because of what he has done. And, uh, you know, a repentant, a truly repentant man, I think will accept that is, it, this, that that is right. You know, I, I understand what I have done. I understand what the consequences are. Um, well, something to explore, I think, on the other side of the break is the difference between justice and vengeance. They're oftentimes confused. I know I do. I'm, it's a weakness sure. I have. I get angry sometimes. But let's discuss that a little bit further. We're right up at the bottom of the hour, and we've got a lot to talk about, and we really hope that some of you out there have your questions and that you want to join in this conversation. If you're in the St. Louis area, give us a call at area code 314-821-0850, or anywhere in North America, toll-free, you can give us a call at one 800 730-2727, or you can even email us at letstalk at kfuo.org. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes.
This week on the Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah. We learn how a development group is sharing the love of Jesus by helping to revitalize neighborhoods in St. Louis. And with Lent around the corner, we talk about the history of Ash Wednesday and the imposition of ashes. Is your preschooler ready for kindergarten? How did one church in Wollaston, Massachusetts find a way to connect with their community? The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah weekdays at 9 a.m. on KFUO. Underwritten by Concordia University, Wisconsin. Do you know that the Lutheran Women's Missionary League has been proclaiming the gospel message and helping the hungry, homeless, and hurting for 75 years? Do you know that over the next two years, LWML is providing mission grants to 22 domestic and international ministries? Do you know that these grants total $2,075,000? Now that you know just a little bit about LWML, visit LWML.org to learn more. That's LWML.org. Coming up on Adventures in Odyssey, Rodney's fictional essay about family values soon leads to chaos. Do the Rathbones really think they can win a contest as Odyssey's perfect family? Or are they simply crazy? Find out what happens when they resort to dirty tricks to defeat the competition. Next time on Adventures in Odyssey. Saturday mornings at 8.30 on KFUO, the messenger of good news. KFUO is faithful to the Word of God. Listen daily to KFUO as we focus on salvation through Christ Jesus. Generations have heard KFUO proclaim the good news through our talk programs, music programs, and worship services. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. KFUO, faithful, scriptural, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. We are the messenger of good news, KFUO. As the 23rd Olympic Winter Games begin in Seoul, Korea, millions will witness the excitement of athletes eager to earn a coveted gold, silver, or bronze medal for their countries. Anne Abernathy made her first Olympic appearance at the 1988 Games in Calgary, the first woman from the Virgin Islands to compete in the Winter Olympics. The public was unaware that she was being treated for non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, in fact, she overcame significant injuries in her sports career and successfully qualified for six Olympic Games. In Path to Victory, a winter sports New Testament, Abernathy shared how Romans 8.26 helped her deal with the loss of her mother and Hebrews 12, 1-12 as a passage important to her during difficult challenges. Engage with the Bible and its influence in every sphere. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. Well, welcome back to Let's Talk. The pastor is in. I'm program host Kip Allen, and my guest today is Pastor Lance O'Donnell from Onawak, Onawakawak, something like that, in Wisconsin. Onawak, <laughs> <laughs> Wisconsin, yes, sir. Okay. And if you want to join our conversation, you can call us at area code 314-8210-850 in your, if you're in the St. Louis area or toll-free in North America at 1-800-730-2727. We are discussing sexual abuse. We are discussing repentance. We are discussing justice. And we are discussing vengeance. What's the difference between justice and vengeance, Pastor? It's a good question. Um, let me try and answer that with um, with another with another quotation from Rachel Dunhollander. Okay, which I think she covers this interest. This is in her 
her response the, when she was interviewed by Christianity Today. She was asked, what does it mean to you that you forgive Larry Nasser? It means, she says, it means that I trust in God's justice, and I release bitterness and anger and a desire for personal vengeance. It does not mean that I minimize or mitigate or excuse what he has done. It does not mean that I pursue justice on earth any less zealously. It simply means that I release personal vengeance against him, and I trust God's justice, whether he chooses to meet that out purely, eternally, or both in heaven and on earth. And thinking of the passage from Romans 12, you know, beloved, never avenge yourselves, you know, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says mm. the Lord. And that is very difficult, I think, for many people. I know it is for me. Um, well, if, if I had been like one of these girls' fathers during the sentencing hearing, you know, went at him. Yeah, I saw that. He jumped over the over the counter and went after him. Jumped over the counter and tried to tried to you know tried to get at him. And I mean, good gravy, you know, as a father, I could you know, I don't know what I would have done, but. You know, this this is this is what Rachel's leaning on. I am, you know, I am trusting God that He's going to mete out justice, and if that's partial here on Earth, God's will be done. Well, something else that she had uh, that reinforced her, and I think gave her strength to do what she had to do, was her husband. She, um, yep. She. I was hoping we'd talk about that. Yeah. Uh, she is engaged in a very Christian marriage. They have a child. Three. Throw, I beg your pardon. They have three children. Yeah. And uh, I'm, I'm looking here at your, uh, at your uh, preliminary, your draft here. And you said that you'd like to meet Rachel's husband. And you said that's well, a man. I, I, sure, I sure would. I just, you know, it's a, you know, again, Kip, you know, watching, watching Rachel testify for me, you know, it was, I would just, you know, there, there's some times as a, as a pastor, you know, just as a human being, right. You, you empathize with people, you know? And so when she stood up to speak, you know, it, it was for me as if all these voices at the same time, you know, all these people, all these men and women and boys and girls who had talked to me over the years, you know, and she stood up and said what was done and that there was something that was going to happen about it. And, um, and she said that part of the reason that she was she felt she could do this is because of the strong support she had, you know. And you could tell by her other conversations that a big part of that was her Christian marriage. You know, her husband, I believe, is a, a Reformed or Baptist pastor of some kind. Um, and um, there is a, you know, so I would love I would love to meet meet this guy because I, you know, the she was able to stand up in so public a way, and millions of people have seen this, uh, because she had a loving Christian man by her side. And what a difference uh, that makes in how healing that can be for a woman who's been impacted like this. As you said, and he, he the husband, learned how to honor a woman. And yeah. what, what a husband does, he protects, he defends, he provides, he yeah. stands by her. And, uh, and this is, you know, we have, this is, this is a, this is becoming 
it, it used to be just, I think, what was done, but we're having to reteach this. What does it mean to be a man? You know, a man honors a woman. He protects her. You know, he doesn't use her. Um, he defends. He defends her. You know, he forgives her. Right? It's um. You know, we are we are awash in our culture. I was I'm teaching a Bible class that I just finished this last Wednesday. In one of the last articles I had my group read was uh, an article from Vanity Fair called "Tinder and the Dawn of the Dating Apocalypse." Oh. And it's about it's about this um, about the the quote unquote dating app Tinder uh, that people are using just basically to find sexual hookups and what it's doing to men and women um, who are just giving themselves over and gorging uh, basically on sex by means of this app. And I asked the people in my class. I said, when you read this article, I want you to, one of the people that's interviewed, I want you to think if one of this, one of these was your son or your daughter or your grandson or your granddaughter, how would you bear witness to them? Hmm. You know, and when I wrote, when I, maybe we can talk about that another time in the future. Um, but when I, you know, I, when I did my write up on this, it was, you know, was son, you are using women. Um, that's not what a man does. Is the converse true as well on this? The woman using the man. Well, and that's that's that comes out in this in in that article in Vanity Fair. Yeah, it's going it's going both ways, and and on the sexual assault issue side, I mean, the, you know, we talked about how important it was for Rachel Den Hollander to have a husband who stood up for her, you know, and became a source of strength and taught her tenderness, right, and so forth. But it also happens on the other side. I mean, I know men and boys who have been abused. Um, and to me, you know, and they're damaged by that. And it's lifelong. And to meet a woman um, who supports and encourages uh, is, and is, an, is a magnificent gift of God. Oh, boy, do I know that. Yeah, it is a magnificent gift of God. And so, you know, this does, it, Kip, it, it absolutely works both ways. There is, you know, a Christian marriage can be really regenerative. What? With all its difficulty, <laughs> it can be regenerative. It is. And it's, uh, you know, I, uh, when I remarried after my wife died, um, I, I can't express the thanks for the support I got from my new wife. Uh, and it's an amazing thing, isn't it? Oh my gosh, I can't believe how fortunate I was. I am. It's an it's an amazing thing. You know, I had you know I have I have my own, you know, so on you know history that I am ashamed of, um, and I'm so right. I mean, first of all, I'm so thankful that Christ forgives me. And, and I, I was so thankful when I met Carrie Allen in 1995 that um, she didn't she didn't want to know the man that I had been. Mm. What she what she wanted she wanted to run the race with me and the man that I was becoming uh, in Christ. And uh, it was 
you know, it makes me want to weep. It's one of the most, it was one of the most, you know, that's, that's Christ and forgiveness um, becoming very tangible and real. And it has been, it is a transformative thing. It is when, when she can see something in you that you could not see in yourself. Yep. And that, that just literally blew me away when I first realized that. Or just practicing forgiveness, which I think is so hard, um, of not not dredging up things that are in the past. <laughs> oh, and, and I'm letting, so guilty letting, of that. <laughs> oh. letting, letting, the, letting them go, right? Yeah. I, I, I think it's I think it's I think it's the devil's great temptation in marriage. Um, and we talk. I talk about this with couples all the time, especially those who I'm getting ready for marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's one of the great temptations of the devil is to dig stuff back up and uh, one of the the greatest most difficult parts of marriage one of the great art arts as it were of being a christian married person is um is to forgive as christ has forgiven us yeah and to let that stuff go and not use it not use it as a bludgeon that is my worst temptation it really is uh... well you and billions of others <laughs> I keep asking for strength. Yeah. <laughs> oh. No, it's true, right? I mean, that's that. That it, it, forgiveness is the very heart of things, and and if the devil can tempt us to think that that you know we, we can't be forgiven, or to place a wedge between two people who's, who's, where forgiveness is supposed to be at the center, then then he is he is breaking, you know, he is breaking something. Holy, and this is, you know, it's at the heart of, you know, people who, Christian people who get married should know you've got a target now and protect yourself, go to church, make use of God's word and sacrament, take time for each other um, to strengthen that marriage because you will be tempted. Yes, absolutely. And this, this is one of the things, again, about the Christian marriage is that you learn about each other things that you never would have seen before. Uh, Isn't that interesting? Yeah, and some of these aren't necessarily good things. Indeed. But you have to learn. I, I, I tell people as I talk about this, especially when we do when I do premarital counseling, and at a parish of my size, I do a fair amount of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I people do change, uh, but I think also what happens in marriage is over the course of time, we realize in the crucible of marriage who we really are. And I think it's really important for couples to tell each other that, you know, to talk about what they're learning um, and to do that with, with dignity and, and grace. But, you know, we do, marriage has a way, and you, I think you alluded to it, you, we have a way of discovering things about yourself. Oh, yeah. Uh, some of that's good, and some of it's gross. <laughs> that's true. And I know, uh, you know, coming from a German family, despite my last name, Allen, uh, my mother was uh, <laughs> Conradine Winifred Steger Allen, you know, so that gives you an idea. <laughs> and mm-hmm. of, course, of course, she ruled the home, um, is... Uh, tend to see the dark side, tend to see the weaknesses, tend to see the things that aren't right, uh, which is okay to an extent, but don't let it overshadow. 
there are good things about about ourselves as well. With God's grace, we can bring this forward. And those are the things to concentrate on. Uh, and, and don't let the, the gloom and doom of all your shortcomings overwhelm you. And boy, this was a huge, huge problem I had for years. And You know, it, 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 to, just to return to Rachel on this front, if I may. Oh, please do. Um, something, something else that she said in her, in her impact statement related to this. She said, I... I met my future husband, and I told him what I never wanted to tell anyone, and I wondered if he would walk away. He didn't. But I, but I couldn't even hold his hand or look at him because closeness wasn't safe and trust wasn't safe. And obviously, eventually, right, he didn't walk away. He stayed. Um, he showed her um, that he loved her. And I'll bet he kept his hands off her yeah. um, to prove to prove it to her, and how powerful that must have been for her. You know, so I would say to any of your young men who are out there listening, um, keep your hands off her. <laughs> you love this girl, keep your hands off her. Get to know her and show her that you love her. That's what a man does. You want to be a man? Don't use her. Uh, treat her as your friend and love her. And know the difference between love and attraction. Uh, this, was, this is going to sound a little bit silly, but I mean, I, of all things, I was okay. I was watching. <clears throat> oh, I hate to say this. I was watching Bambi not too long ago. Bambi, awesome. Bambi, and yeah. remember how the the young guys in that the Bambi and Thumper and what have you, they all became Twitter pated. I love that word. Oh, yeah. Twitter-pated. Sure. Yeah. And, and make sure that you're not Twitter-pated. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you also can't avoid it. So that yeah. uh, this is this is typically why I don't recommend long engagements. Really? Um, <laughs> you know, if you know you're gonna if you know you're gonna marry the girl, and I'm asking <laughs> you to keep and I'm gonna ask and I'm asking you to keep her hands off her, <laughs> and, yeah. um, then right, you know. Yeah. It's better. It's better than. It's better to marry than to burn. Yeah, Saint Paul. Yeah. So, um, so you know, I typically don't recommend a long engagement. And that's part, right? If if you're if you're doing this right, and you're trying to, you know, if you're a guy and you're trying to keep your hands off her, or you have, and now you're trying to do it right, and you back off, and you're trying to keep your hands off her, mm-hmm. then, you know, um, do the premarital counseling, get ready. But you don't have to wait forever. You don't have to have the perfect wedding. Um, you know. You can get married and have a big party later if that's what you need to do. Um, <laughs> hey, that works. <laughs> it, so. it does, and I think I think also it's very important uh, for both parties to sit back and look and say, "Why do I love this person? What is this? What is there about this person that I find so admirable that I want to bring into part of my life? Is this person kind? Is this person strong?" Is this person logical? Is this person emotional? Is this person able to see beauty? Things like that. Does my family like this person? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. But when you marry, you marry families. Um, that to me is a big. That to me is a big sign, right? And and you know, it's not the be all and end all. Mm-hmm. But you know, I I discovered, you know, twenty some years ago 
um, I, lo- I looked back and I realized the only person who had been 100% right of the, of the women I had been interested in was my sister. Really? Um, and so I, I just, I said, I, after enough doing this stupidly, I made a decision. I said, okay, um, any woman that I'm interested in from here on out, I'm going to let Brooke vet. <laughs> you know, Brooke, and, you know, and, and, I mean, and I mean that, right? Um, and if Brooke liked her, you know, if, if, if Brooke liked her, then it was, I, okay, we can go further. If she didn't, then that wasn't, you know. And when, and so when Brooke, my sister, met uh, Carrie, my wife, and they hit it off immediately, and they were just off chatting and it like I wasn't there, I thought, oh, all right, well, we're on to something here. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and family can be, it, it, you know, and what the, one of the one of the great things about this now is, right? My my family has loved Carrie from the, from the get go, and you know, and I was I was, I became part of Carrie's family. So I don't, you know, we don't have some of the stuff that other families deal with because part of the way was because I handled the way I handled that courtship. Um, you know, if her family didn't like me, uh, that wasn't going to go any farther, mm-hmm. and I, I made that decision ahead of time. Because um, I didn't want that ever to be an issue, <laughs> you know. And you know, and I, and when I met my wife, she was a, you know, her hers was a very pious Methodist family, and I knew I was going to be. I wanted to be a Lutheran pastor. I was planning to go to the seminary uh, when we met, and that was a big deal. And so, well, you know, I'm sure I, it I, was. I, I I remember I went and I talked to uh, Carrie's dad, and I said. I'll never forget the way he handled this, which I thought was great. Uh, I said, you know, I really want to be a Lutheran pastor, and I need to know if that's going to be an issue. Because if, you know, I don't want to hurt your daughter, but that's what I want to do. And if if that's going to be an issue, then... And and he said, said, Lance, the real question is, uh, how do you feel about Carrie being a pastor's daughter, or a pastor's wife? Mm. Which was his tacit way of saying it won't be an issue. Go in peace. <laughs> Pursue my daughter. You know, and we did that at the kind of the beginning. But if you know, if, if he had said, you know, I don't know if I can have my daughter married to a Lutheran, um, then Carrie and I would have been just friends. Hmm. Um, and you know, that seems crazy to people, but I was going to be a Lutheran pastor, and so you know, we had had that conversation, and so it wasn't an issue after that. I mean, we had our religious differences. They're now Lutherans, by the way. But um, yep. you know, we had our religious we had our religious differences. But we had talked about that ahead of time, and it was part of the you know the courtship. And so, you know, we we covered a lot of those bases. It is you know, it just goes back to where what has kind of been a theme throughout our conversation here. What a what a glory a good Christian marriage is, and. Um, and what a great support uh, you can be for one another and, and what a difference that makes. And this last week, you know, a couple weeks ago at the end of, at the end of January, you saw that in, in an incredibly powerful way in a woman who was abused, who was, you know, who, who decided I have to stand up and say something because nobody else will. And if I do, then maybe others will, and then maybe there'll be justice. And she did it in part 
because she had a, a husband by her side who who knew, come what may, was going to support her. And the other thing that I think she brought out, uh, and I think is also very, very important in these cases of uh, with the victims of sexual abuse, is the ability to forgive themselves. You know, you're the victim here. You know, you you people will say, "Well, why didn't you say no?" Well, and I was 15 years old. Yeah. And you read the testimony. This guy was fondling these girls while their parents were in the room. Yeah, he made it look like it was it was an exam. He was he was a, an absolutely malicious serial predator. There were some horrible people, and then she she raised the issue again. I think in one of the uh, one of the uh, YouTube things I saw, where she has a young daughter who might be who seems to be interested in gymnastics, and she says, "I'm not let her, going to let her do that. There are too many predators right now. The the sport itself is not addressing the issue, and this is one of the reasons why she came forward was to force the sport to look at it. You know, she 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 said there was this." Uh, there was uh, one particular coach who had who had been bounced from college to college to college to college, and the uh, the organization that oversees these coaches had this huge file on the guy from complaints. Yeah, and yet there was no nothing had been done. Right, and she and that comes out clear, and there's a huge message to institutions, including the church, mm. um, about taking this seri- about taking this stuff seriously. Um, and not doing the wink, wink, nod, nod stuff or moving, moving. Again. You, you know, we have to, this is part of the reason I, I feel compelled to talk about it publicly because I believe she, I believe she's right. You know, if, it, if, if it's this utter shameful thing that you can never talk about, it's easier than to shield and hide stuff that's going on or you don't want to think is going on. So you don't talk about it. Um, but by saying it publicly, I'm hoping, and you know, she's been an example here for me, is that um, we will head off at the pass any potential difficulty. Let's also address. Um, what, I, I wanted. I want us to address something specific to our audience here. Sure. Uh, in our Many and most of our audience are perhaps Lutheran. We hope that they are. And we also hope that we have a lot of non-Lutherans who listen to this. We need to let these people know that the Synod is vitally concerned and interested. We know what the problem is. We know what the advice is that we should give. We know what the Bible says about this. And I think it's very important that the people out there understand that if there is a problem, if you know about this, you can always talk to your pastor. Even if you're not a Lutheran, come into one of our churches and talk. We're here. Yep. And well, yes. <laughs> go talk. Go talk to your. Go talk to your pastor. Well, I, I suspect um, even a lot of Lutherans who who may have been victims of this. Haven't reached the point yet where they can say, "Oh, I, I will be shamed. I can't talk to my pastor because this was such a horrible thing." Well, yeah, you can. Not only you can, you must. This is the person who you need to talk to about this. Well, and we do, right? You know, and we do have confidentiality there. So mm. um, it's very that's... important. It is legal as well as as ethical and moral. We have legal right. protection we, on this. You know, it's. 
you know, and I'm I'm hearkening back to, you know, uh, do you know Dr. John Kleinig? I know of him. I don't know personally. Um, one of the one of the most stunningly comforting things I can uh, I can remember hearing, and Dr. Kleinig is a is a treasure. Um, and if I remember this story rightly, he describes he's an Australian Lutheran theologian. He des- he describes going, I think, to some place uh, to do a seminar in somewhere Southeast Asia or something like that. And he encountered, uh, he was talking about the Lord's Supper, and he talked about how the Lord's Supper not only forgives our sin, but that Christ also covers our shame. Oh. Um, and, and there was this woman huddled that uh, came up to the sacrament. And if I recall the story rightly, the, one of the native pastors said to Dr. Kleinig as she was walking out, he says, I haven't seen her for communion in years. And if some 10 years later, Dr. Kleinig was back there, and this woman came up to him, surrounded by children. And she said, you know, Dr. Kleinig, I wanted to let you know um, that, you know, I think she had been raped. Mm-hmm. And I was so filled with shame that I feel that, you know, there was something wrong with me. I couldn't come. But you you told me that Christ, you know, when I come to the Lord's Supper, that Christ covers my shame. And that was the first. And so I, and I want you and I want you to meet my children now. You know, I have a husband. I have a husband. And, I, and um, you know, it, it just it changed her life. Right. And, oh, what a beautiful story. Isn't that a great? Isn't that a great story? It is, um, and it's a perfect story for us to end our program because we have just <laughs> now run out of time. You can tell by the music theme I'm bringing up underneath you, and I just want to let our audience know that you've been listening to Let's Talk. The pastor is in. Guest pastor is Lance O'Donnell of St. Paul Lutheran Church in some unpronounceable city in Wisconsin. I'm Kip Allen. Wishing you God's blessings. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting. The pastor is in on Worldwide KFUO.